Good morning, church. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. This morning, God's character is going to be vindicated. Up to this point in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has made some really profound statements about God that to a certain degree would have given his audience, and primarily those of the physical nation of Israel, um, concern. And what Paul's intent in Romans 9-11 through 11 is, is to give the physical nation of Israel and the spiritual nation of Israel some confirmation about the character of God. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, we're going to get started. If you're tuning in online, we're so glad you're with us. I hope you got a pen handy. I'm going to mention some scriptures. I'm not going to have turn every place. I'm not going to have you turn every place that we're going to cover uh, for the sake of time. But we're going to we're going to start in Romans chapter nine. The first thing that I want to tell you is I believe God has a word for everybody today. And there there are there are times where where I think um, I, we don't understand some basic principles about the character of God. And if we misunderstand some things about God's character, then we then our worldview isn't correct. And if our worldview's not correct, then it throws our life off course. And I believe the enemy is attacking God's people and trying to conflate the character of God in the minds and hearts of the family of God. And this morning God wants you to know that he loves you. And that's where God starts this passage of scripture is in God's love. And the truth is that God loves all people. There's no one in the universe that is outside the scope of the love of God. If we go to the Bible in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 3, the Bible, the Bible says, this is Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit, I could wish, this is Paul speaking, that I myself were cursed. And not just that I was cursed, but that I was cursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Can I tell you this morning, friends, that the word love is one of the most overused and one of the most misunderstood words in the English language. But if you were, were to ask me, Trent, what does love actually look like? I would say love looks just like this right here. Love looks like a man who is saying, I would be cut off and cursed from Jesus Christ if those of my own race, my own people, the nation of Israel, could be saved. In other words, Paul's saying, I would give up anything for the people of my race to gain everything. And that's exactly the way we would define true love. Love is when a person would give up anything so that the one they love could gain everything. 
as I was praying about this and, 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 and seeking God on this, God really told me, Trent, I have already done that. I've already gave up my everything. I gave up the one thing that was most important. I gave my all so that I could bring about salvation for all. And in so doing, I demonstrate my love for the world. The God that inspired Paul to write this text would feel even more violently in love with the lost people of the household of Israel than the apostle himself. It's impossible that the God who inspired this text feels less in love and concerned with the nation of Israel than the Apostle Paul. And God wants you to know this morning that He has given His very best so that you could gain everything. And He wants you to know that you're loved. As we move through this text, not only do we understand that God loves all people, and the reason we understand that, again, the case I'm making is that Paul says, I would give up anything if those of my own race could, could gain everything. And it's impossible that the God who inspired Paul to write that would feel less compassion towards those who are lost in the household of Israel than the apostle himself. So God absolutely loves and is concerned with the salvation of all people. That's what true love is. Because the only thing that matters is Jesus. Paul moves forward and God says, not just that I love everybody, but that my promises never, ever fail. The promises of God never, ever fail. In the book of Romans, if we would move forward in the text, the Bible says, quote, It is not as though, everybody say these four words with me, it is not as though God's Word had failed. Why is it not as though God's Word had failed, friends? It's because God's Word never fails. Every single promise God makes throughout the spans of time can always be relied on, they can always be counted on, and they can always be trusted. God's Word never fails. It's not as though God's Word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel, that's Jacob, one of the descendants of Abraham, not all who are descended from Israel are of Israel. Nor, because they are his descendants, Abraham's descendants, Israel's descendants, are they all Abraham's children. And so here's what's happening. And you'd have to go to, to Romans chapter 4 and verse 12 to really get this sense. But Paul in Romans chapter 4 drops a nuclear, a theological nuclear bomb on the world. And he says, those who are truly Abraham's descendants are all those who have the faith of Abraham. Not those who are naturally born of a descendant of Abraham, but those who are spiritually born as descendants of Abraham. And Paul's audience would have been very nationalistic. 
And they would have read what he was saying and lots of them would, would have taken issue with that. Wait a second. We're the ones who, who, through whom the prophets came. We're the ones who received the commands. And we're the ones who received the covenants. And now you're saying that the real household of Abraham is, is, is those who have the same faith of Abraham, not those who are nationally Abraham. And Paul's saying, that's exactly what God is saying. And so when God told Abraham that through him he was going to make a great nation, God's promises stand. The Israelites just misunderstood it, not being a a physical nation. But instead it's a spiritual nation. And when Paul says not all who are of Israel are are of Israel, they're they're thinking, wait a second. What about those promises God made to our our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Abraham? And Jacob, who's renamed Israel here. And Paul's saying, none of those promises have failed because God's word can never fail. When God promised to bring about a great nation through Abraham, he meant it and he's following through with it. It's just a spiritual nation. It's not a physical nation. And I need to know in my personal life that when God makes a promise... He always follows through with it. You and I are the same. We're out there fighting the daily battle against our flesh and against our own sinfulness and against this corrupt world we live in. And I need to know that when God says, Trent, I'll never ever leave you and I'll never forsake you, that He really means He's never going to leave me or forsake me. I need to know that when I'm battling temptation and God says, Trent, every single time you're tempted, I'll make a way of escape. I need to know that that's absolutely true, that when God promises that to me, that that promise will be followed through with. And it's, it's imperative that we understand that when God made a covenant promise with Abraham and said, through him he'll bless all nations and through him he will build a great nation, that God followed through with that promise. And if God can take one man who's that old and that inadequate and through him bless the nations of the earth, and grow a great nation from that man's descendants, then God's promises to each of us still stand. Can I get a witness this morning? God's word, God's first word for you is that He loves you. And in the battle you face day in and day out, you need to be encouraged by the fact that God loves all people, and that includes you. And the second thing you need to be encouraged by is the truth that every single promise God has ever made people, including you, He always brings to pass. There's nothing God's ever promised that He won't bring to pass. And you and I need to hold to that truth and seek God's Word as we're battling in our daily life and be encouraged by those truths. Not only does God love everybody, And not only does God follow through with His promises, but God has provided a way for all people to be saved. God's provided a way for all people to be saved. If we keep reading in our text here in the book of Romans, in chapter 9 and verse 30, God says through Paul, What shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness... They have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. 
what I understand from this text is that not only does God make a way for all people, He makes a way for people who didn't pursue righteousness. Even those who don't pursue righteousness, God still says, I love you. God still says, the promise I make to you, promises I make to you stand. And God still says, I'm going to make a way for you. Even those who didn't pursue righteousness. And not only that, but to the disobedient, obstinate people of the nation of Israel, God says, not only do I want to make a way for those who are unrighteousness, for those who are unrighteous to be saved, I want to make a, a way for people who know better and don't do better to still be saved. We get to this next text in Romans chapter 10 and verse 21. The Bible says, concerning Israel, God says, all day long, listen to this, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Not only have I provided a way for those who didn't pursue righteousness to be adopted in the family of God through faith, all day long I've been patiently holding out my hands to a disobedient, obstinate group of people, the nation of Israel. And what we see in God's grand design is that God's brought salvation to the Gentiles in hopes that the disobedient, obstinate nation of Israel would see the salvation of the Gentiles and be moved with jealousy. And their jealousy would cause them to redouble their efforts to seek after God and be a part of the spiritual household of Israel by faith. That's exactly where the text goes in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Did this disobedient, obstinate group of people of the household of Israel stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No. Not at all. Rather, because of their disobedience and obstinance, because of their transgression, God has brought salvation to the Gentiles to make Israel envious so that eventually they could be grafted back in. This is part of God's grand design. That God allows the nation of Israel in their disobedience and obstinance to be ultimately bound over to their disobedience. In other words, God hardens those people who have already hardened themselves. The nation of Israel was not pursuing God. And so God says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up a way for people who didn't pursue righteousness, these pagan, sin-sick Gentiles, I'm going to make a way for them to become part of the spiritual household of Israel. So that includes non-Jews and Jews. I've held out my hand to the disobedient, obstinate Jewish people, and I've made a way for those pagan, unrighteous Gentiles also to come in. And it's not as though anybody has fallen far, so far away that they can't recover. So if we keep going in Romans chapter 11, I'm going to pick up here in verse 32. God's bound everyone over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all. Okay, so let me walk you through this. Alright? God forms a covenant with a man named Abraham in the Old Testament. And he says, Abraham, through you all nations of the world will be blessed. 
And through you, I'm going to make a great nation. And time passes, and that nation that God made a covenant with becomes disobedient. And God consistently holds out His hand to a disobedient people. And they remain disobedient. And so God binds them over to their disobedience. In other words, nation of Israel, if you're going to be disobedient, then I'm going to allow that disobedience to occur. And so when Jesus comes to the earth, He speaks in parables. He doesn't speak candidly or openly because the nation of Israel has already been disobedient and God wants them to remain in their disobedience. Why? So that they can become jealous and envious that He's made a way for a new people, the pagan, sin-sick Gentiles, to come in. Those guys who didn't pursue righteousness. Is it to condemn the Israelites forever and never engraft them back in? Actually, the opposite is true. It's at some point to bring those same individuals back in and engraft them in because they've become jealous and envious that God's made a way for the Gentiles to be part of the spiritual household of Israel. And why has God done this? Because He loves everyone. Because when He promises something to people, He'll do it. And because He wants all people to be saved. That I might have mercy on them all. Let me tell you why this is meaningful for me. There have been times in my life where I haven't pursued righteousness. And God's still saying, Trent, I've made a way for you. Even you who haven't pursued righteousness. There have been times that I knew better and I was disobedient and I was obstinate. And God's saying, Trent, I'm patient towards you. All day long I'm holding out my hands to you who are disobedient and obstinate. Trent, the reason I've done this is because I want to have mercy on you. There's no amount of unrighteousness, friends, There's no amount of disobedience and there's no amount of obstinance that puts you fallen so far away that you cannot be redeemed by a righteous, holy, sovereign God. And that's a truth God wants some of you to know today. Whatever you're dealing with, however far you feel like you've fallen, however disobedient and obstinate you feel like you are, You have not fallen so far that you can't be brought into the spiritual household of Israel. And God's allowed you to pursue your disobedience so that at some point He can have mercy on you. That's His plan. And when we understand God's love and that God follows through with His promises and God's provision for all people... It's easier for us to understand God's justice. So I want to back up a few verses in Romans chapter 9. And I want to make a case to you that we know who God shows mercy to. And we know who God punishes. Therefore, we can understand God's justice. If we understand God's love, if we understand God's promises and we understand God's provision, we can understand the justice of God. 
So in Romans chapter 9 and verse 15, God tells Moses, quote, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. When we read a verse like this, it's, it's easy even for me to think, wow, I wonder upon whom will God show mercy, and upon whom will God show compassion? But the scriptures make it obviously clear who God shows mercy and compassion to. And that's all those of the household of faith that are the spiritual nation of Israel. Those are who God shows mercy to. And those are who God is compassionate towards. And we also know who God punishes. He punishes all the faithless who are not of the spiritual household of Israel by faith. That's been the focus of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. So let me talk just briefly about a couple of things that are really complex. And I want you guys to hang with me. And this is a complex, complex kind of discussion that we've got to have in a brief amount of time. Okay? I believe that this particular set of verses is not even talking about salvation. Now, it kind of sounds that way, doesn't it? I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. That sure sounds like God is saying, some people I'm going to save, and some people I'm going to be compassionate towards. This passage of Scripture is actually taken from Exodus chapter 33. The Israelites are doing what seems like they do best, and they're messing up. And Moses prays in Exodus 32 a prayer similar to the prayer Paul Paul prayed. God, destroy me. Save your people. They've been faithless. Please don't destroy them. Please help them. Please save them. And God says to Moses, because of your prayer, I'm going to not do the destruction I was planning on doing against the nation of Israel. And in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus, Moses says, God, and we sing about this a lot. Show me your glory. And it's really hard for me not to preach a mini-sermon right now about how hungry and passionate we should be to see the Shekinah glory of God fill up our lives in in the atmosphere of our church. And if we'll get hungry and we'll get passionate and we'll pursue God, then He will manifest His presence in our life and He will make Himself known. And if we get as hungry as the Apostle Paul was to see the salvation of people in our community and world such that we could make that prayer, God, I wish that I was cursed and cut off, then we might be seeing the same kind of uh, effect and success of Paul's ministry manifested in our own lives. Because what we understand based on this text is that when Moses is hungry to see God's glory, God has mercy on him and shows him his glory. That's the context. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, all right, I will. I'm going to put you in a cleft in this rock. When I pass by, you can see it. And I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. I believe what God's telling Moses is, Moses, you're hungry for me. You're seeking after my face. You want to surrender to me. So I'm going to equip you in a unique, special way for your kingdom assignment. And that's mercy. Did Moses get it perfectly from this moment forward? No, absolutely not. 
But from this moment on, was he equipped with a special, unique kind of mercy? Absolutely he was. And I believe that's what this is talking about. A special equipping for your kingdom assignment is mercy. There's another verse of scripture that's just right before this. This is Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. You're familiar with this. It's hotly debated. Paul writes that God says, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I, say it if you know the next word, hated. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Now this is time, it's pop quiz time in the church. All right? Don't look at your Bible. All eyes up here. Some of you are trying to cheat already. If you know the location of the story of Jacob and Esau, I want you to raise your hand. If you know the location, I'm not going to call on anybody. Don't be bashful, right? Some of you are like, ooh, if I raise my hand. The first part, the first time the story of Jacob and Esau is ever mentioned, how many of you know the location of that story in the Bible? Raise your hand. Get them up. Look around. See how many guys know their hand. Raise them high, y'all. There's only like 10 people who are willing to raise their hand. It's in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible in the Old, in the Old Testament. All right. So... The phrase, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Don't look at your Bible. How many of you know the location in terms of which book it's written in that that verse appears? Raise your hand. Okay, one, two, three people, four, okay. Five, there's a couple of you. All right, five, five people know the location of that book. The Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated is written in the book of Malachi which is the last book of the Old Testament. The story of Jacob and Esau takes place in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years pass between the time the story actually takes place and the time God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What happens in between is that the nation that descends from Esau comes against the nation that descends from Jacob, the national household of Israel, the physical household. And when God made a promise to this guy named Abraham, who was Jacob's granddaddy, great-granddaddy, part of that promise went like this. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. But those who curse you, who knows the, who knows the last part of that, that covenant? I will God's obligated to curse those who curse the descendants of Abraham. And you'd have to read 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and you need to write this down. I'm not going to turn there because probably none of us could find it this quickly anyway. Obadiah, verse 10. There's one chapter in the book. It's a minor prophet near the end of the Old Testament. Okay, And the nation that descends from Esau has cursed and fought against and sinned against the nation that descended from Jacob. So what's God obligated to do based on the covenant he made with Abraham in terms of his treatment of the nations that sin against Abraham? He's obligated to curse them. I believe that's what this is talking about, church family. And I'm linking that to God keeping his promises to loving all people and making a provision for everybody. And when people don't take heed... Of the promises of God. Listen to this. This is what God spoke to me to communicate to you today. When people don't take heed of the promises of God, they can fall under the curse 
of God. When people don't take heed to the promises of God, they can fall under the curse of God. But when you do take heed of the promises of God, you can find yourself adopted into the actual family of God himself. You can, you can say amen right there. So, let me get a witness, somebody. Y'all awake out there? We're almost done. I know this is deep theology. I need to know in my life that God loves me and God keeps his promises. That, that, that encourages me to do the right thing. But I also need to know that God punishes my sin and my faithlessness. And that discourages me from doing the wrong thing. And can I just tell you that that's exactly how I want to parent my children? I want my love and my integrity to motivate them and encourage them to do the right thing. And I want my discipline of their misbehavior to discourage them from doing the wrong thing. And if they'll pay attention to my teaching, I hope and pray they'll be blessed. And if they don't, I believe they'll have consequences that are like curses in their life. And some of us have lived through that. And God gives us these truths because He wants us to come to Him and save us from some of the misery we would have otherwise experienced. There's a lot here that I've given you this morning. I want you to take away two things about God's character. And then I'm going to close. The two things I want you to take away from the sermon today are the application. There's a lot of theology. And I do want to plug. I do want to plug. I am teaching a Sunday morning Bible class over Romans 9. And I was supposed to cover it verse by verse starting today, but I didn't get into it because we had to set it up. So you haven't missed anything. If you've got a question about Romans 9, I'm going to dig super deep into the text on Sunday morning next week. And I invite you to be there. Okay? But this is the pastoral application. This is what I pray about every week I preach. This is what I seek God. This is what I ask God to speak into my heart. God, what do you want for your people because of what you said in this part of Scripture? And these are the two things God said to me. First, He wants you to know that He's trustworthy. God's trustworthy. And I said, Lord, what, what do you mean? Why is that significant? I know you're trustworthy. And, 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 and God led me back to the book of Romans. And the first thing I read was Romans 1, 18 through 20. And, and God wants me to communicate that God's intent is to reveal himself to his people. That's Romans 1, 20. God's intent is to reveal himself to his people. Some of you need to hear from God on something. Some of you need to hear from God on something. And God's created this world in a way that it communicates His eternal nature and His glory. And he, His intent is to reveal Himself to you. Those of you that need to hear from the Lord need to know that God is going to reveal Himself to you. That's His plan. The other part about God's trustworthiness is that His plan for you is to adopt you into His family... And to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. So wherever you're at in your life right now, you need to know that you're not the finished product. God's still working on you. 
And that needs to be an encouragement to you. And that's Romans chapter 8. But the other piece of this uh, uh, lesson involves God's steadfastness. And that's the truth that God's never going to ever abandon you. He's never going to abandon you. We talked this morning about those who didn't pursue righteousness. Those are the Gentiles. At some point you need to go back to Romans chapter 3 and listen to the description of man in Romans chapter 3. There's none that pursue God. There's none righteous. We're all messed up. Our feet are swift to shed evil. Our tongues lie. We are a messed up group of individuals. And God still loves us. And then when we become a part of the household of Israel through the faith of Abraham, we still struggle with sin. Can I get an amen? The three, the four or five of us that are in here, right? Paul in Romans 7 says, the good stuff I do, I can't do it. The bad stuff I don't want to do, good night. That's the stuff I find myself doing. And God says, there's no, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. It's not our sin sickness before we're saved. And it's not our brokenness that we struggle with after we're saved that can separate us from the love of God. Because there is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. These truths are so beautiful and so great that the apostle is moved to song. He starts singing. This is the last part of Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. There is nothing greater. There is nothing deeper. There is nothing wider than the power and the majesty that is our God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has even known His mind? Who has been His counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay them? From Him, through Him, and for Him are all things. To God be the glory. Forever, for everything. Amen, 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 and amen. We serve an awesome God. And I want you to remember that this week. I'm going to close with a prayer. If you have a need in your life, we want to pray for you. Um, if you want to be baptized into Christ, if you want to join our church, I invite you to bring all of those needs forward after I pray. Bow with me. Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, for your love for all people. Thanks for your promises that never fail. Thanks for your provision for those who don't pursue righteousness, for those who are obstinate and disobedient, and for everybody in between. And God, thanks for your justice. That, that keeps us motivated not to do the wrong stuff. God, we praise you that we can trust you and that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And I ask in the name of Jesus 
that those truths would penetrate deep into every heart in this place and every heart tuning in online. God, I ask all these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.